Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Shadow Particles, a His Dark Materials companion podcast. I'm Evan Minto, and with me today is a brand new guest, Dave Cabrera, Saucy Riger on Twitter. Welcome. Hi, everybody. How's it going? And we are talking about season two, episode three of the His Dark Materials TV series. Dave is our first non-book reader guest of season two. So excited to hear. Wow, you you got that far. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I've got a lot to hold up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hopefully not the last. We'll hopefully have at least one or two more non-book readers on uh, for the remainder of the season. Before we get into it, the house rules uh, reminder, we will not be spoiling anything from like the later parts of the books. So if you are new to the series like Dave is, the this podcast will have no spoilers for you. And we're recapping the U.S. release on HBO, not the U.K. one. So we're an episode behind the U.K. I have three intro questions I ask all my guests. Dave, this is your first time answering them. So first off, what is your familiarity with His Dark Materials? So I have not touched the books. Um, mm-hmm. I have no no like childhood familiarity at all or anything like that. I watched the first season on an airplane. There you go. I I believe you told me that you started watching it uh, because I was yelling about it on Twitter so much or partially because. Oh, yeah, you were absolutely you were one of the you were one of the many references like a lot of people on my TL just, you know, there are a lot of people who I consider mark of quality people, Evan, and you're one of them. Oh, thank you. Um, And when enough of them start to rave about something in advance, you know, I'll look into it. And this is actually a case where I'll look into it even extended to the books. But I was cheap and my library app was always out, especially with the interest with the interest in the show. Like the library apps have been borrowed out of this book, like in perpetuity. So I kind of just never got around to it. And then actually this was right before COVID. Yeah, I went on vacation to Scotland in March and long, uh, long flights both ways. And I wound up not sleeping and watching the entire first um, series of Dark Materials because I think it's it's good to watch a very long sci-fi fantasy during a long flight where you can't sleep. Yeah, because it blurs it blurs together and you fall into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of like get lost in the world. Yeah, and I really, really fell into his dark materials. I really enjoyed it a lot. And I've been very much looking forward to the second season since then. Yeah, so that my my second question is usually what you thought of season one overall. Like any particular kind of thoughts about getting introduced to the world in that first season? Yeah, uh, like I said, I really fell in. Um, mm-hmm. I could tell, you know, you can tell that it's an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell that there are things that they got to hurry up and do. And right. <laughs> that's one of the criticisms other, of season one, I think. Like, absolutely. Like you can, you can feel it. I mean, eight episodes to tell this kind of story, that's hard. And I understood that as I watched it. Um, but the source material is really strong and I'm willing to kind of follow it wherever it goes, I think. Yeah. So I'm nice. game. And the, the third question, the most important of all is what is your demon? A new question for you, as opposed to uh, a lot of people who have been thinking about it since they were in middle school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I only started thinking about it about um, 10 minutes ago during prep. And uh, big dumb dog. I know this about myself. I I could. Yeah, I could. I could see it. Yeah. But like in a nice way. I'm not saying like you're dumb, but. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But my heart a is big, dumb. lovable dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right. We actually had a we had a great uh lovable dog demon last episode. Thorold's demon was was pretty Oh yeah, pretty nice. he yeah, was yeah. A, he was a good big boy. She. Definitely. So they they're all they're most of the oh. time they're the opposite uh gender. Not not always, but generally. Yeah, I've yeah. noticed that in the voices, yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get like established directly in the show. A mm-hmm. lot of this is stuff that's easier in the book to explain because it gets explained right. through sort of narration. That's one of the other things about um bringing up the the whole it's an adaptation thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to sit down and dump lore on me, but also I understand while watching this show, oh, there's clearly lore that needs to be dumped on me. And like what part of that is a mystery, like an intended mystery, and what part of that is a lore mystery often blurs. Uh, okay, so an interesting side note here that that I have thought about more recently while you know watching the show and, and uh, just talking to people about like the books and the show is it's refreshing that the books are actually relatively light on lore compared to a lot of science fiction and fantasy. Mm-hmm. So you, you and I, you know, are very familiar with a lot of sci-fi fantasy and anime and things like that, where as you know, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Where there's just like tons and tons of kind of irrelevant lore and history and stuff, right. That like the, the creators sometimes jam in, like not even because they're like, they're, they're not even helping the story. They're just there to kind of build like a cinematic universe or whatever. Right? Yeah. They're, they do indulgent asides a lot. Pullman is weirdly, I think he's like, not really, I think he doesn't like being a fantasy author very much and prefers to be writing kind of like human dramas. And so he seems to just not want to write any of that stuff. Like he writes the lore as necessary for the story and then leaves everything else like, ah, I don't know. I hadn't I didn't write a story about that, so I don't know what happened. Right. I, I haven't thought that part out yet. The character of this show actually matches that a lot, I think. How so? Remember when I said before that I felt the show was rushing a little bit? Mm-hmm. I do. I do think it has like kind of a don't worry about an attitude about that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it, that's that's true. Yeah, I think it's in contrast with the show that everybody tried to compare this to in vain. Game of Thrones, right, where. There's just oh, tons yeah, like, of like history and lore behind everything in it. Like the big case, um, the big um, comparison I make between the two is like like fantasy long term travel, because that's like such a thing in Thrones. Like it takes mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. guy however many days to get from one country yep, to the yep. next. And in this show, like just the first season, the amount of travel that the characters have done, they've pretty much like trotted, not the whole world at that point, but they've certainly gone across the world in a line. You know what I mean? Like they've really gotten some places in eight episodes. Yeah, without really worrying too much about like all the specifics of the different sub countries that they pass through. It's yeah, people can just, you know, it's story logic. People can just get from point A to point B. What kind of magic boat do I need to cross this river? Like that kind of, you know, minutia that makes Game of Thrones um, large. And I think the, the demon, the demon stuff is like not so much lore as it's just context for the human interactions in the world. Right. So he, he gives you detail on that. Yeah. It's just really easy thing to explain. And it has like certain obvious outgrowths, like, you know, with an animal being your soul and the like detachment technology. Well, that naturally follows if your soul is this little thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And all this other stuff that kind of just like flows in a story sense from the concept. Right. Uh, the other comparison I wanted to make to Game of, to Game of Thrones, and I'm sure I'm 100 percent sure this has come up in your podcast at some point, but they should have rethought that opening, man. You don't want to set you don't want to set the expectations of another TV show. It's like if it's like if they had the Cheers opening, but also 
the things were from his dark materials. So, it's are so we, explicitly in the style of the Game of Thrones opening, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you're because I like the opening a lot, but you're saying that it it's too similar to Game of Thrones, so it makes people think this is going to be more Game of Thrones. Exactly. Stuff. Mm. And I understand that in a marketing sense, because you know I was mm. there when that last horrible episode aired, and I saw the trailer immediately, and it was obvious that the TV station was telling me like, "You will watch this now, fantasy." Right, later. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> This will replace this for, and I understand them wanting to like give that impression, but these are it's not just different. different stories; they're different genres, and like the audience that the audience that tuned into Killfest is not necessarily going to be down with this. Yeah, even yeah, though yeah. It's good. no, no, that's totally. Uh, we're going on a bit of a tangent here, but yeah, like they are mm-hmm. different genres. Like, like but it ain't Killfest. Fan- like medieval fantasy Killfest is a very different show from. Why a conceptual, like, multi-universe sci-fi fantasy? <laughs> right. Yeah, like, it's it's in another universe, literally. Yeah. So, now that we've done a whole lot of preamble just talking about the show in general, let's recap episode three, Theft. Let's. Which I, I believe is another episode. Most of these episodes are taken directly from chapter titles. The summary I tried to write down here is uh, Lyra heads back to Will's Oxford to talk to Mary again, despite the alethiometer telling her that her goal is to help Will find his father. Uh, That doesn't work out too well. Not listening to the alethiometer, Lord Boreal's henchman finds her and leads her straight to his boss, who manages to steal the alethiometer. Uh, and she, by uh, as you know, we I think uh, hopefully people are kind of tracking this that like until the end of this episode, she did not realize who he was. Right. So she didn't realize that. he. Yeah, he I was, was wondering that her world. I was wondering that about whether they expected the audience to get it and whether I was supposed to be surprised in that sense. Ah, well, OK, little little tangent here uh, in the book. You're supposed to be surprised because he's able to hide it from you by not describing enough detail about Boreal for you to know that it's him. Um, oh, you, but can't the show, you can't pull that. But you're not supposed to be surprised in the show because they've already established like you've seen everything Boreal's doing. It's very obvious. Yeah, he's like clear. strongly yeah. established. Yeah, yeah. But at Lyra is definitely surprised uh, at the end of the episode when she finds out. And speaking of that, she and Will go to go to Boreal's house to confront him, discover that, you know, he's from Lyra's world and is not a nice guy, uh, is is manipulating them. And he asks them to or basically forces them to go back to the world of Chittagatsi and get him a knife at the top of the tower, which we've we've seen that tower in previous episodes. Uh, meanwhile, back in Lyra's world, we see a mysterious man who we don't know anything about yet, who does some kind of magic and kind of summons Lee without Lee knowing it, uh, leads Lee to the Yenisei River. And uh, in a town there, he asks about Grumman, who he's looking for. But a uh, bunch of stuff happens here. Summarizing, he gets attacked, kills a man in self-defense, gets arrested by the Magisterium. And then we get what I think is the highlight of the episode, where Mrs. Coulter ends up in the same town by coincidence and uh, finds out about Lee and interrogates him about Lyra. Uh, also, a little bit of Yorick. Uh, Kaiza, Serafina's demon, discovers from Yorick that Lyra went through Azriel's window. And the witches are, of course, looking for Lyra. And finally, Mary takes some time away from the lab and makes a kind of mysterious connection that doesn't go fully explained between uh, her computer, the cave, and uh, and the I Ching, the uh, Chinese kind of divining sticks that she uses. That's a lot of the stuff this episode. As usual, a lot of different threads going on at once. Yeah, very stuffed episode, definitely. Uh, what did you think overall, Dave? 
I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I'm looking forward to because this uh, to me, this is like the wheels beginning to really turn. And I'm really enjoying it, watching everything get, getting set in motion right now. Um, the interaction between Lyra and Will is getting better. They're mm-hmm. kind of like comfier with each other. And I, I'm, enjoy, I'm enjoying the way they bounce off each other. Um, I like them. They're both good kids. I don't want bad things to happen to them, even though I know bad things will definitely happen to them. It, yeah, it's but... not exactly a show where good <laughs> things happen to people yeah, regularly. Yeah, like, you know, they don't get, <laughs> nobody gets prizes on this show, so. Yeah. No, I'm enjoying, like, I enjoyed them, you know, having a little house and bouncing off each other and doing things in the, doing things in Will's world. Um, yeah, and I like, I like uh, that they, to, to interject here, that they mm-hmm. have this, this good, it's in the book too, this, this kind of like give and take where it's not like they start off and they hate each other. And then by episode three, they're best friends. Like they're they're still going back and forth and having moments where they kind of trust each other and then moments where they're getting angry at each other. And that like feels very accurate to these two stressed out kids. Yeah, it's bumpy and it's believable and nothing these kids are going through is reasonable. So you can't expect them to be reasonable, Mm -hmm. but also they're doing their best, you know. So there's, you know, there's that running thread of them. And then there was... um. I wasn't crazy about Lee's adventure, but I was crazy about Lee's interrogation. That oh was my a, God, a heck so of a good. scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. What a scene. Um, that was fantastic. I think that was like definitely a high point. That will be a season high point. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, emotions running high, really strong dialogue, really like strong feeling. Um, and the acting on both sides. A plus. Good job. Yeah. For once, um, I was not completely taken out of it by Lynn manuel Miranda's oh yeah lynn really like (laughs) lynn really that's actually um i should say the audience my first note on the google doc for uh, research for this podcast is actually i can't deal with lynn's accent and i can't i've been waiting that i've been waiting this whole year to let out that sentiment that i can't deal with lee scoresby's accent i think a lot of people agree with that i don't like Uh, it i think he was he claims he's trying to do like an an accent that's like like a real accent that he knows from family he has in Texas, but it's not like a like a cartoonish Texas accent. And I think his implication was it's like this is the kind of accent that Latinos in Texas have, but not that like right. white cowboy guys have. But it sounds but it like sounds he's moving like in and out of an white... accent. It sounds like a fake like yeah half cartoon. Yeah, accent. it sounds like a fake cartoon white cowboy. And like you said, the worst part about it is that it fades, that it goes in mm-hmm. and out. Uh, I mean, there's like a studied, like well-performed accent that I can't tell where you're from, like as an actor. Right. And then there's like a thing you're putting on. And I think that's like part of the the conspicuousness. Uh, I don't, is Scoresby such a conspicuous character in the books? Do you mean in terms of his accent or what? No, ser- like I, whenever I see the guy on the screen, I'm like, this dude popped in from another universe. And it's because of the cowboy association, I think. He is a little bit just in, in that he's a cowboy in a story that doesn't or he's not like literally a cowboy, but he is depicted right. as being cowboy-esque in a story mm-hmm. that like otherwise doesn't really have a lot of characters like that. And doesn't have that like kind of world or setting. So it's sort of weird for that character to be there. But I couldn't tell whether that was like a book or a, yeah, I couldn't tell whether that was a book or a TV he's show. He's supposed thing. to stick out a little bit. He's the only like he's the only only american in this world of of you know 
everybody's basically British, right? Right. That was the other thing that the um, the world is analogous to our world, and there's like a Britain and there's a America. It's and... actually this is just a fun fact that I don't think we'll ever really learn much about in the show. But he is not from um, the state of Texas in the country of America. I don't think America oh. as a country exists. He is from the country of Texas because it's an alternate history universe. Right. Right. So that makes okay. Yeah. Alt yeah. Texas. So maybe they all have weird accents there in lyra's world you know yeah it's possible <laughs> but that's the thing all the um all the british characters you right. can kind of you can understand their their accents are a matter of course mm-hmm. whereas this one character's accent is like and also they're british actors they literally talk like that and i think that's the thing everybody else in the show is talking like that one character in the show is putting on an accent and i think that's like the thing that kind of raises it to a to a red thumb yep and also the fact that everybody is uh everybody else is like uh, a scientist and a thinker and this guy is like the one gunslinging adventure arguably asriel and, and coulter are gunslinging adventures but that's a little yeah different as there's well. also like uh, yeah there's characters who are in other like molds right like yorick is is very right. different uh and seraphina and stuff but I totally see where you're getting at. I enjoy these villains, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, Coulter and... These are some great villains. I love uh, Boreal, who otherwise doesn't have as much time in the book for you to get to know him. But, Mm -hmm. like, the actor does a great job. He's just really slimy, and you're just like... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's just extremely slimy and intimidating, and you know he's Mm -hmm. a bad guy. Yeah. Um, Kind of a no apologies bad guy. And then I really enjoy the complexity of Miss Coulter. Mm -hmm. Well, that and that is in the book. Like, I mean, you don't see as much of her as you do in the show. And that's one of the best choices they made is just casting Ruth Wilson and then giving you lots of time with her to like really get in her head. Yeah, she's a very intense, like complex person. I uh, really enjoy her. I will say I totally agree that the the Lee and Coulter interrogation scene is one of the highlights. It's it's easily the highlight of this episode, and it's one of the highlights. Yeah, probably will be of of the season. And what's so interesting to me about it is it's all new. It is not from the book at all. There's not even an implication in the book that this meeting happens. When you said that, I was shocked to see it. Uh, Honestly, this is, I think, the first time they've added something wholesale to the show that I thought was this good. You know, they've added some things that were like, "Ah, that's an interesting idea or it's like or some of them that have been good, but not like not great. This is great. And for like so many reasons, for one thing, makes the first explicit reference in the show to abusive parents, which is what Coulter and Azrael are. Right. Yeah. And it, and I like that it's, you know, it's not someone just saying you two are abusive parents or something, but it's I mean, it is almost directly saying that, I guess. But it's not it's not but, like yeah. just them being accused of that. It's Lee talking about his experience. Right. And, and analogizing it. Yeah. And forcing her to like look at it and look at herself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And that really intense emotional reaction that comes from somebody who is extremely guarded and does not let people get under her skin. Like that extreme reaction after all these episodes of, you know, cool, cool cucumber, like Coulter. Well, no, not really. She is pretty quick to rage, isn't she? Mm-hmm. But she doesn't let people get the better of her. Right. And to see that was really was something. And obviously, like the thing she cares about most in the world because she really does care that much about the child that she gratuitously abuses, right? Yeah, and I I think it's there's so much great stuff they're exploring with her and and one of the things I love is that she is obsessed with Lyra, but this scene kind of forces her and I think the audience to confront like something that I think we asked about in uh last episode, which is like 
well, what do you want to do with her when you get her? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. <laughs> because this is what we ask Tom about Jerry, right? I mean, I'm sorry, Jerry about Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Wait, yeah. Wait, which one is the cat? Whichever one, the cat. This is what you <laughs> ask the cat about the mouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Like, yeah, what do you intend to do? Like, do you intend to have that weird locked up prison set up from the first season of the show? And that's like it. Certainly a person that smart understands that that isn't like an option, but she wants to believe in it. Right. She wants. And and like, I don't I think she doesn't know. Right. Like, which is what makes the oh, scene no, have she has so no much idea. complexity. She just wants Lyra because she's kind of this uncontrollable variable and she is important to this whole world and she's like right you know she wants to control that she doesn't and want therefore to have it must this... be controlled right but right how is question mark question mark and question does she mark, want to protect mark. her like it's not even clear right like like she does it's it's not clear she wants to hurt her in this like really direct diabolical way but she just she does it's like the way she is yeah it's like more nobody hurts her but me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if I did, and if I did hurt her, I had a good reason. Again, we're into abuser brain too. Also, right, right, so. right. Yeah. So I mean, just a great. She's such a great character, and I think it adds something to Lee. We learn something about Lee's background, which is not in the book. So like, and I think it worked pretty well here, and kind of tells tells you something about why he cares about Lyra too, right? So he had an abusive yeah. father, and he's he's seen this kid who has really bad parents and he is like well i want to be you know a kind of surrogate parent to her i didn't know you could summon lee scoresby apparently you can yeah uh, <laughs> apparently you can just just call him up i would summon lee scoresby if i could i, I do like him in the you know i don't we, we were complaining about lynn's version but i uh, i do really you wouldn't you wouldn't summon lynn but you would summon i would lee, summon book lee. I, you know i would summon <laughs> sam elliott lee from the movie <laughs> I haven't seen I was kind of curious about seeing the movie after having um after having like watched some of the TV show because I know it's like not a success but you it's know, interesting I, it's an interesting watch uh but I would only recommend it after you've seen the first season of the show yeah uh yeah just out of sheer curiosity it's uh well I can talk about this because everybody listening has watched the first season but the movie does not include anything uh it basically any it doesn't include the last episode of the show so all the stuff with Azriel and Roger is not in Oh the really? Movie. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> that's a very different way to end your film. Um yep, yep. that's very interesting. Oh yeah, it's got it all except for oh, Except yeah. for the important part that you know fundamentally changes everything. <laughs> they just and I can see that's like so Hollywood that yep, somebody yep. would see it and be like, oh, 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 this is how it ends. OK, uh, I need to come up with a plan for this. Like, <laughs> Right, right, right. Because if, if you if, if you end that way, speaking of season two, if you end that way, you need to do the rest of the story. Right. How do you end it on Lyra walking through the window? <laughs> how do you open? How do you open with the ending? Mm. that ending (laughs) Uh, so I do want to say on the Lee Coulter scene as a book reader I can say one of the things that makes this scene so great is that not only does it work in the moment for you know establishing all this stuff about Coulter and Lee and like you know giving her a chance to think about what she wants to do but it also I think will there are things that will happen later for which this will serve as good setup like it's it's something you can look back on later in the story and and it will have new layers to it so Mm -hmm. very much looking forward to that 
I like the witches. You do. So I've heard some some mixed thoughts on the witches. Do how many witch scenes did we have? And did we have like um, any of them in this episode? I'm trying to remember. We only really had cutbacks to the witches. Mm-hmm. We we're, we're it opened with the bombing of witch town. So witch country. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Because it's got them at the beginning talking about. The, and so the we mostly just kind of saw them seething for revenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I want to I want to see them exact repeatedly. <laughs> I did like yeah, in episode one that fight scene with Ruta Scotty is very cool where she just murks all those magisterium guys. Uh, speaking of the witches, there is a scene that is also not from the um, from the book. It's more exposition, but I'm excited about it because Yorick is back. We get to see Kaiza talking to Yorick, which is sort of an amalgamation of a few scenes from the book. There's a similar scene where Serafina talks to Thorold, actually, and like I think finds out what happened to Lyra, and they instead had Kaiza talking to Yorick. Yeah, there was some interesting stuff there. I think Kaiza dropped some slightly new info. We're kind of getting this drip of new details on what is up with the prophecy, right? They keep just saying, like, Lyra's important, and we get little <laughs> bits of, like, what she's going to do. And he mentions, I believe, that she will bring an end to destiny and that she can't know what she's doing while she's doing it. Yeah, and just just like those words slip out. I do like Yorick's response to it. Like, we don't really get a lot of Yorick in the original story here. So this is it's a nice mm-hmm. addition to have him back like in this part of the story. And I like that, you know, the witches, we've been seeing the witches perspective and they kind of seem like, oh, well, they're just they're the good guys here unequivocally. Right. They want Lyra to do something good. Right. Like, I guess if you're not really thinking too hard about it, but then you're kind of questions it. And he's like, oh, so she's just your unwitting pawn. What do you mean you're making her do? Yeah, you're going to make her do this and she can't even know what she's doing. And, you know, Yorick is is the best. He's just like he's he's just such a pure good guy. (laughs) That grumpy, that grumpy look back. Right, right, right. Which is so like like the CG in this show is really mm-hmm. um, believable and good and strong, and I think that's really important for a series with so many like animated animal characters and who are full have- characters, right? Like these, the, they can't yeah. just be background detail, which they kind of were in a lot of season one. But here we've got what they should be, right? We have a conversation. They're talking to each other. We have a conversation between a demon and a and a an armored bear that is like a full conversation between full characters. That's the way this world works. Yeah, and it just does. And if the CG is off, you know, it's not going to be believable to any observer. But this show really pulls off these animal interactions really well. Yeah, so maybe that's a good transition to uh, my my new segment, the the demon corner. I'm here to talk about how the demons were this episode. Love them. They're good. Animals are great. They're really good now in season two. I, there's like lots and lots of good examples now. Uh, in Will's world, we've got the scene with Lyra escaping from the I guess he's like a dirty cop, the guy who works for Boreal. Yeah, or maybe not even actually a cop or or whatever's going on with is. the cops in this world. I think he is an actual cop because he calls in in season one. In season one, he calls in like a missing person report on the radio. Oh. And yeah. he says like D.I. Waters or whatever, which is I think is the mm-hmm. British thing. If we have UK listeners, they're going to like get angry at me for not knowing this. I think that that's like the <laughs> the D.I. or whatever it is, is like the the uh, thing, the title or whatever for detectives. But yeah, so he's chasing Lyra and there's a great thing. It's from the book. I'm glad they included it where Lyra does what you would naturally do if you were a kid from Lyra's world, which is she has Pan turn into a bird and fly above her to help her navigate. And that's why she can right. outwit this guy and get away from him. Fortunately, the 
that that does not work out when she gets in the car with Boreal, who she thinks is from Will's world. And so there's this very nerve wracking, especially, I think, for book people. But I wonder maybe if this is nerve wracking for you as well. A nerve wracking scene where uh, Pan is outside of the car and flying behind her. Oh, and she can't like let him in the car because she thinks that, right, right. that Boreal is going to be like, why are you letting a magpie into the car? Yeah, <laughs> I had not I had not thought of it as a separation just because I was just like, I was in full TV logic on that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's just there. Pan's just there. Pan's mm-hmm. fine. So I didn't think of it that way, but I can absolutely see how, yes, logically, of course. Like, it was like, oh, Pan's got to keep up with the car or else he gets separated right? from Lyra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, he's got to fly super fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, logically, she could, there's ways that she could have made that work. She could have been like, can I open the window? And then Pan could fly in as a moth. But right, she was also right. very agitated at the time and probably not thinking straight so that kind of makes sense and neither was pan right because they could they kind of yeah nobody is in that moment just a huge moment of panic and obviously she was in trouble no matter what she did yeah because Uh, the bad guys own the cops which is how it is yeah (laughs) yeah that that is how it is both in uh lyra's world in will's world in the real world (laughs) it'd be like that um Uh, I, so there's a lot of good stuff with Hester, too. Uh, when when Lee goes to that observatory uh, and talks to the, the guy where he's like looking for info on Grumman, there's a scene that this is the first time we've seen something like this, I think, in the show. And it's essential to a lot of the storytelling in the book. And I thought they did a really good job with it, where the guy's lemur demon, love the lemur demon, by the way, is like climbing around in the observatory and mm-hmm. Lee is just talking to the guy and there nothing weird is happening yet. They're kind of just casually talking about the observatory and I think he's starting to bring up Grumman. And like as yeah. he does, we get a cutaway of Hester looking at the lemur who looks sort of agitated and is like paying too much attention. And it's kind of this preface to what's about to happen where she is detecting through his demon that like something's Mm -hmm. off about this interaction. Yeah. And you can see the tension rising like through that scene solely through the demon. And if you weren't paying attention to the demon, what happens afterwards seems weird. But if you are, you can tell that it's just like, no, this guy's just boiling and about to blow up. It's not just that it's not just that he feels like he's in danger. It's that he feels like he's in the presence of, you know, of a heretic. He's in the presence of a monster that should be shot on sight. And as you see him boil over like that, it starts at the demon, which Mm -hmm. is like it's a really uh, well done scene in that sense that it kind of transfers from soul to to his face, to his actual express, to his actual actions and expressions. It's it's the that's the thing about the demons that makes them so much more interesting than if they were just like an animal companion is like, you know, I say this all the time in the podcast. And I think this I, I think the show at this point has made this clearer to people is like they are the same person it's not like just an animal that's with him it's if if he is getting nervous about lee being there she's also nervous about lee being there right Right. it'll show in her body language or like um coulter and the monkey Mm -hmm. again coulter is this person who puts up this very like civilized um unflappable front and but when it comes down to it her daemon is just this angry monkey this angry monkey who's like perpetually ready to throw hands and that is that is Coulter. That's who she and, really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fascinating to watch the monkey during her scenes because the monkey is a ra- is like her rage interpreter. Her, it's you're seeing it right there on the screen, and that's one of the touches I really enjoy about this adaptation. 
Yeah, they, they do that with the interrogation scene, too, because there's a bit where mm-hmm. instead of her hitting Lee, the monkey hits Hester. Yeah. Right. Yeah, just like, bong. <laughs> really a painful, mean hit. Mm-hmm. Also, the monkey does, oh, just a brutal, a brutal stealth kill. I think it's not a kill. I think the guy is just knocked out. But where he yeah, picks up someone's the... snake demon and just whips it on the ground. <laughs> like, yeah, whoa. as soon as I saw, as soon as I saw that and realized that the the snake hadn't faded away to dust, I, I, for you know three seconds, I'm like, he's just just murder that man. Yeah. Oh my god. You know, it's one of those <laughs> hits. It's one of those like somebody call an ambulance hits. Yeah. <laughs> Even uh, which, when you see it in fiction. So oh. my my partner pointed this out. I, I missed this. That uh, that is a reference to, or it's it's pulled from a novella called Once Upon a Time in the North. That's about Lee's. It's about when Lee and Yorick first met when they were younger. It's a great great little like short story, but it's got a character who who mentions that who says he talks about um, whipping someone's snake demon like a like a whip, like cracking them like a whip. It's like brutal. Ooh. Yeah, that was it. That was it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great touch to include because it, it's it is like a very visceral um, way of expressing how mean mm. that monkey is. And also there's a very tender scene at the end there, right, where uh, he reaches up to hold Coulter's hand and she lets him do it. Where previously in season one, there's a scene where she swats his hand away when he tries to touch her. Yeah, that that kind of acknowledgement of this kind of mutual, this mutual feeling of what they've been through um, that they they seem to I don't know, they obviously like she's an abuser and he's an abused, but. It seems pretty apparent to me that the same kind of thing happens happens to Miss Coulter. It seems to me that they're like, you know, they've been through the same places. I could be wrong, but that's the vibe that scene gives. Right. Me. That she's the a victim of abuse and an abuser. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, notice, right, that we've never even said the monkey's name because she, we don't know yeah. the name of the monkey. Like, the it's monkey. just a monkey, <laughs> which is so strange in this world. You. And he doesn't talk either. Right. Like, not a word. A, it's it's he's Just so different from like all the other demons. This being a pure rage. I guess last bit to talk about here is the the little bit of Mary we get, which I'm always excited. I love this character so much. Uh, she is not uh, at this phase of the story, at least is not like she's not doing anything that's like super action packed. Right. She's just right, uh, right. just kind of learning she's just being like a researcher right but uh I, I like i like this actor a lot and i really like just this feeling of like dawning realization she's having as she's discovering mm-hmm. stuff and definitely in the previous episode i had no idea or intention that this character was going to stick around mm-hmm. i thought this was going to be stop a for i thought this was just going to be stop a for lyra and i was pleased to yeah i was pleased to see mary come back she clearly has something going on, and I'm not far enough to know what it is. But yeah. it's fun to just watch her. It's fun to watch her fiddle. It's fun to watch her try and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like the idea that I think this is in the book as well, but it's I feel like it's expressed maybe more more directly in the show that it's like she just has this kind of regular, mostly regular life, just being like this researcher. But Lyra is this ball of chaos thrown into her life that gives her like a spark to do something right there. She's like she has a new direction to go in because Lyra just sort of crashed into her life. Yeah. From, uh, again, another another world. Mm -hmm. And it's such like, yeah, her situation. It's such a shock. Mm -hmm. And it's also a shock that she pretty much accepts it. That's the th- we talked about that last episode on the podcast that she 
in contrast to the adults in this story and the other adults, she is open-minded. She's like, okay, let's see where this goes. Right, because this is absolutely a trust no adult, trust no authority mm-hmm, story, mm-hmm. which, hey, yes. But also, yeah, it's fascinating to see an adult character at this point who doesn't either like fail the kids mm-hmm. or doesn't like accept them or doesn't like believe them or that kind of thing. And I feel that like the adults are just kind of the adults otherwise in the story are kind of across the board, like just screwing up. Except I, I mean, Lee's the only other one, right? Lee is is really expressing this like deep love of Lyra. <laughs> yeah, Lee is trying. Definitely. I think the we, we didn't talk about in, in any detail here, the movie theater scene. Uh, and we do have to address the bear in the room this is very important uh i would not want this to be relegated to pre-podcast talk there was a bear on that screen paddington is in the his dark materials universe will's world includes paddington paddington is in this world (laughs) there might be some kind of alt paddington in lyra's world (laughs) (laughs) uh this does remind me there's a funny bit in the um the, the his dark materials fan wiki that says i think it says I think it's the entry for hamburger and it's like a hamburger may have been a sandwich served at Burger King in Will's world because it's just the book doesn't describe in enough detail for it to be confirmed that it exists. Right. We don't we don't know that for sure. What does he order? Does he order like fries? I, th- I think it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he orders fries and a sodas. So we don't know if the burger actually exists. The oh. place is called Burger King. Right, it's presumable. Right. It's presumable, but we don't know whether burger could be an entirely different object. Right. Um, so, so Paddington, Paddington is confirmed in in this universe. They watch actual footage from Paddington. It's just Paddington is playing in the movie theater, which was pretty entertaining. And I, I, it was actually kind of cute because, like, it seemed goofy at first, but then I got into it because. It's like a talking bear, which, of course, Lyra loves talking bears. Uh, right. Like her That's best normal. A talking bear. She's not even under she's not even under the impression that she's watching a fictional movie. <laughs> right. Pro- probably not. Uh, but then he, they also I guess there's a scene in one of these Paddington movies where he steps through some kind of window to another dimension. So they picked that to make it kind of like a very direct parallel yeah. to what's going on in the story. And there's an incredibly cute scene of Pan peeking his head out of the bag to watch the the movie. Because, yes. like, they've never seen a movie before, right? I don't, well, I don't like, think there's any. Literally, as... what is that thing? Right. Yeah. And nothing is unreal about Paddington the Talking Bear. <laughs> right. He could be someone's demon. Other than maybe other than maybe the fact that he wears clothes. He wears clothes and there's he doesn't have a human around him, which is a little weird, right? right? I mean, I, she's met Yorick, but the bears are kind of weird in Lyra's world because they're talking animals that are not demons. But Lyra definitely doesn't have this movie on her mind, which no. I think is a mistake for her, delight. Um <laughs> I haven't seen it. She's but, definitely okay. not she's definitely too stressed to be thinking about Paddington. Yeah, I uh, also love the popcorn bit. That's why we're here. Where That's she's, uh, here. I love the popcorn bit where she's eating it and she's like, what is this? It tastes like sawdust. <laughs> it's awful, I can't stop eating it. <laughs> and let me tell you, I have a COVID-like stash of pop and popcorn that is, you know, no calories and I feel like I'm eating something. And yeah, I knew exactly how she felt. This is the content that I that I want from His Dark Materials is just Lyra and Will doing stuff in Will's world and Lyra reacting to it, being like, "What is this?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is burger? What is hamburger? That would be very good. Maybe for they me. can solve they could solve that issue with the book canon. Right, right, right. They can introduce hamburgers to the the show universe. <laughs> 
All right, so we think we've, we've covered a fair amount of this episode. That is it for this episode of Shadow Particles. If you would like to check out more, shadowparticles.club is my goofy URL. You can email me at shadowparticlespodcast at gmail.com, and I'll try to read your emails on the show. And you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave some reviews to help more people find the show. Where can people find you online if they want more Dave? Um, these days, you can pretty reliably find me on Twitter over at Saucerager. If you really want to travel to another world, <laughs> I recommend you check out my pet project, um, the Koiko-chan's comic, over at koikochan.moe. It is a comic for a very specific audience. Oh, man. And you're it. It's, uh, it's very good. But yeah, if we've got people who are, who are not in the kind of anime video game world, uh, it might be too high level. It might break your brain to try to read it. I aim for very high levels. <laughs> uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. And I do post about the new episodes on there. So if you want to get notified when new Shadow Particles episodes come out, check my Twitter out. Thanks, Dave, for coming on. Glad to hear your thoughts on the show. A pleasure. A pleasure. If I may stick in, uh, I forgot to finish off my plug. Oh, yes. Um, my comics anniversary is in four days. Oh, wow. I believe it's eighth anniversary at this eighth point. Eighth anniversary. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, the, the Kwais have been around for eight years now. It's insane. Congrats. I don't know how I did it. Congrats. Anyway. <laughs> with that, we will say goodbye. I will see you with a new guest next week for episode four. Later. Goodbye, folks. Goodbye, folks.